Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Breakaway Bandits podcast. My name is Nathan Moser, joined as always by Mike Rifkin and Noah Tremblay. Guys, um, this is usually the point in the uh, conversation where I ask how you both are doing. I'm really curious uh, how one of you specifically is doing because, um, well, we'll get to that. So first of all, uh, how how you guys doing? Whoever wants to go first. Still alive. Pretty good. That's always I, a I, I, I am just fantastic. Thank you for asking me that I am just on cloud nine right now. <laughs> so the word is fan, right? So full full uh, disclosure, we are recording right after game one of the Stanley Cup final, which the Noah's Montreal Canadiens are in. First of all, congratulations on getting to the final. And uh, and they did not win game one, but we will get to that. Um, so but uh, we do it. But before we get into any of that, the- seems like a little bit of a low blow there. You it did. They did. did not win game one. <laughs> and we'll get to that later. It's not that important. <laughs> No, if I could rewrite history, I wouldn't. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, no, okay, so okay, moving right along. Um, we do have a very special guest uh, that, that uh, we have on this episode of the Breakaway Bandits podcast. She covers the New York Rangers for the Hockey Writers. You can go check out her articles at thehockeywriters.com. She also covers the NHL East at E2G Sports, and that is E2GSports.com, and was most recently on an episode of the Chicks and Sticks podcast for the Hockey Writers. You can check that out at the uh, Hockey Writers YouTube channel. Rachel Knowns. Rachel, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. So we do have a lot that we're going to be talking about um, before we get into, cause we're going to review the semifinal series that happened in order for us to get to the cup final. We will talk about game one yesterday, but before we do get into this, uh, you know, stepping away from sports, there has been some very serious news that has been going on surrounding the Chicago Blackhawks um, involving uh sexual assault allegations. Uh, I do have three articles up here uh, real quick. The first one that I will go to is a USA Today article. And it's, this is the first one where I kind of just talked about the whole thing. This was written, it's tied in with the Associated Press. Um, An unidentified former Chicago Blackhawks player says in a lawsuit against the team that a then assistant coach sexually assaulted him in 2010 during a playoff run of the Stanley Cup title and that the team did nothing after he informed a now retired employee. So um, this uh, the former assistant coach, his name is Brad Aldrich. Um, he was convicted in 2013, three years after this happened in 2010 in Michigan on a fourth degree criminal sexual assault involving a student and is now on that state's registry of sex offenders, uh, according to Chicago public radio station WBEZ. So that's the first article that I wanted to bring up real quick. Next one is from the Bleacher Report. Um, it ties in with uh, former Blackhawks uh, assistant coach J- John Torchetti who, if I'm remembering correctly, was also the wild coach, am I correct, for a brief time, possibly? Double check for you, but let me look. Not important to this, but uh, this is an article on the Bleacher Report by Blake Schuster. Uh, Former Blackhawks assistant coach John Torchetti corroborated multiple reports that the team leadership decided not to call the sex crimes division of the Chicago police after two players accused then-video coach Bradley Aldrich of sexual assault during the 2010 Stanley Cup playoffs. Torchetti, who was an assistant to head coach Jill Quinville from 2007 to 2010, told TSN's Rick Westhead that he recalls skills coach Paul Vincent Relaine 
what two players had told him about Aldrich, Aldrich's alleged abuse. Corchetti Vincent, a former Massachusetts police officer, told him of the May 17, 2010 meeting with the front office at a hotel in San Jose, California. You're um, right on Torchetti. He did coach the Wild. Okay. And then the last one is from yesterday. This is ABC News. And uh, this is about the basically the Chicago Blackhawks. Um, they hired an outside firm to investigate the uh, these abuse claims. And um, the NHL was asked about it. And I believe if I'm, if I remember correctly, they, they really kind of, they basically kind of said, we didn't know until we found out. I mean, it was kind of really, it was vague from what I remember. Our top priority continues to be. That is an advertisement. Um, Our top priority. (laughs) So, uh, but anyway, uh, that's, that's the articles that I, that I pulled up real quick about this guys. um, I'm going to just, uh, I'm going to toss this to you guys. Obviously, just terrible, terrible news. What What are your thoughts on everything that's been going on? Rachel, we'll start with you. Yeah, so definitely it's concerning the whole topic of it, especially I think when you go back and read all the conflicting reports upon it, you know, with, um, with what Commissioner Bettman's saying and kind of the timeline with what the, what the, um, the players are saying and the people that were informed, it just doesn't add up. And, you know, it just, um, it kind of seems like people are saying that they want to push it under the rug, but at the same time, there's just so many players and people involved. So I just think that if Batman kind of wants to follow the approach where, you know, no one's going to rush to any conclusions, I think that needs to go both ways where you're not going to immediately discount the victims as well. So, um, I think when you look into it too, it's kind of interesting how um, Altridge, there's reports that when he was done with the Blackhawks, he just kind of disappeared. So I think at the time, maybe some people didn't really look into it that much. Obviously now it's a completely different way to look at it, but um, there's definitely a lot that needs to be reevaluated and looked at again. And and the thing is, is like I said, I mean, this goes beyond sports and you know, I mean, the people who are responsible, you know, for not, I mean, obviously the guy obviously needs to be held responsible, but going even past that, everyone who knew needs to be responsible for, for what happened, because you, this is serious stuff. This goes beyond sports. You can't, it's not, it's just so morally wrong to just try to put something like that on, just to take something like that and just be like, oh, well, we just won't say anything. Like it's, it's disgusting. Mike, Noah, your thoughts. Well, on Nate, you said that they, the unidentified player went to the organization, correct? I, that was, I believe in the, or first. someone went to the organization. Cause the player I can pull it up. It was the USA today piece. Um, pull it up again, real quick. Um, it was, yeah, it was an unidentified former Chicago Blackhawks player. This is an lost team that an assistant. They coach. went to the organization, the organization knew, and if the organization did nothing, everyone in the organization has to be account, uh, uh, held accountable. And Torchetti basically said that people knew. So, so, listen, I, I'm not one for calling people out. Accountability is needed here. I don't care who it is. I don't care if it's Stan Bowman. I don't care if it's Dale Talon, who's now in Florida. I don't care. I don't even care if Joel Quenville knew. Quenville if they knew, they had to be held accountable for their actions. Exactly. 
And this is not response. This is a terrible thing that happened. Everyone needs to be held accountable for what happened. Second part, the league. I don't want to hear, oh, we're going to wait for the Blackhawks investigation to be done. Do your own investigation. Because who knows what the Blackhawks are going to find? They're going to say, oh, you know, this doesn't make us look good. So we might just, you know, sweep it under the rug. Do your own investigation, Gary Bettman. Here's the thing. You're having the Blackhawks do it. And this is the organization that was going to sweep it under the rug. So are they going to just be like, your job as the commissioner is to hold everyone accountable. Equally. Yes. Right. When things you get can't out of just line. toss this to the side and say, oh, you, you do this. I'm going to go be Gary Bettman elsewhere. No, do your job. You have, have an investigation. Especially when you have a player who followed the rules, who did what he was supposed to and reported it. And then it's, you know, it's not getting anywhere. It's not going to the higher ups. That's just going to deter the rest of the people who want to speak up about things that are happening. And it's just, it's not going to. There's going to be no progress in that department of the league. And it's just, it's really disheartening. And, it, and this is, and ultimately this is affecting a person's life. This is something negative that happened to a person that who knows how much this traumatized the person. I, obviously, you know, um, you know, there, I think they, they said that they were, he was, that person was suing the Blackhawks for, you know, in that regard, according to the USA Today article, but um you know, it, it's just, it's just a mess. And, and the NHL does need to hold their own investigation because the one where the Blackhawks are not involved because that if they're going to sweep something under the rug, granted, a lot of those people are not there anymore. I mean, Bowman is, but, but Quenville obviously is not, doesn't matter. It, you still don't want any of this swept under the rug at all. This needs to all come out and whoever is responsible for keeping this quiet needs to be held responsible and action needs to be taken. And here's my worrying thing about what the league is doing. When you think of the last seven or eight years, because recently it's been down, who was the team of the 2010s? It was the Chicago Blackhawks who won three titles. And now we find something like this happen. Well, how, how often did it happen? When did it happen? Who did it happen to? And the league is going to look at that and say, oh, that, that's that's not a good look for a team that won three cops and it's going to tarnish the legacy of the cops. It's already been brought up. Right. But here's the thing. No one cares about the legacy or the cops right now. This is about a person's life and how it was ruined. Everyone in the organization has to be held accounted, held accountable for Exactly. And listen, do your own investigation. Interview Joel Quenville. Interview Bowman, Dale Town. I don't care. Get to the bottom of it, why it happened. The person who is responsible for it has to pay, has to get punished for what they did because it's wrong. Yeah, no. it's, it, it's wrong on so many levels. And you guys pretty much t- covered all of it. It's just, you know, the, the cover up of this kind of level is just, is just un you can't tolerate this, especially for a major league like the NHL. And I, I honestly really hope it's not even an NHL investigation. I hope it's an actual police investigation because that's an organization that would be a entity that doesn't give a crap about what the NHL does, how it tarnishes their legacy, how it, you know, affects the players. It doesn't care. It's going to do what it does. And it's going to figure out what, what happened on those days. And 
Yeah, it's just it's just sad to see our favorite sports get tarnished like this. And we've seen so many things over the past years in all facets of American sports. And just to see this pop up again, it's just like take control of your leagues, guys. Like Batman, uh, why can't I think of his name? Who's the yeah. who's Goodell? Like Goodell, Batman, uh, Manford of the is it Manford for the MLB? Manfred. Manfred, like, get control of your leagues. Like, set up punishments for this and, like, make these players and coaches and everyone else follow these rules. I think that's the biggest thing out of this for me is that there has to be a a structure in these sports where if something happens, it follows these rules and no team can change those. So obviously we will see what, what transpires here. Um, guys, any final thoughts on, on this before we move on? It's just, it's a shame. Yeah. It's stuff that should, we shouldn't, we should not have to open up the podcast by talking about stuff like this. Right. But here we are in 2021 talking about stuff like this. It's yep. just a shame. Huge shame. Alrighty. Um, so we will see what happens uh, with the investigation and we'll see what news comes out of this. Um, moving, moving now um, onto, onto some playoff hockey with a, with a lighter subject. Um, uh, the, before we get to the Stanley cup final, we do have to talk about a little bit of the uh, Stanley cup semifinals. This was how we were, uh, we were able to get to this point in time. So um Mike, well, I'll have you covered the Lightning and the Islanders, but first, real quick, I do want to talk about the uh, the Montreal Canadiens and the Vegas Golden Knights. So the Golden Knights were eliminated by the Montreal Canadiens. Yay, Noah. Yep. Um, for, you, for you, not all of us were on board with that, but it's, you know, um, but no, but in all seriousness, um, you know, congratulations to the Canadians to make it back to the final first time since 1993. Um, and and it was in, it was in six games. And um, I, I guess real quick, some notes that I kind of took down from all of this, why the golden Knights on the golden Knights side, why this didn't work out for them in the end to, to get to the cup final here. couple notes here, first of all, and, and Mike, I, we had kind of talked about this before we got on here. Star players did not produce and you and I both, liked what Mark Stone said at the gate after game six was over with in that press conference, basically saying that I'm the captain of this team. He took responsibility and said that he had to be better. It was not just him though, but mm-hmm. the thing is, is you're the captain and you were pointless that in that entire series, Jonathan Marcheseau, he had one assist all series and it was on a Petrangelo goal in game two that were there were only two Vegas goals in that entire game. Montreal won three to two. Both, both Vegas goals were scored by Alex Petrangelo. Don't get me wrong. I'm I was really happy when Petrangelo went to the Golden Knights. They paid him a lot of money. They uh, they uh, I, I'm glad that he's earning that paycheck. He's you know he's he's uh, he's making that look better and better with each goal he scores and each play he makes, but that is not acceptable at all. And to dive more in on the offense, we got to talk about the power play because the power play did not capitalize one single time. 
It was powerless. Exactly. It was 0 for 4 in game 1, 0 for 2 in game 2, 0 for 4 in game 3, 0 for 1 in game 4, not as many. There was only two penalties in that entire game. 0 for 2 in game 5, 0 for 2 or yeah, 0 for 2 in game 6. In total, 0 for 14. Cannot happen. And to give Montreal some credit here, first of all, a couple players, and I, to give myself a shameless plug for my article that came out yesterday at the Hockey Writers. Um, no, but uh, a few players that I talked about that Tampa had to watch out for, um, one, one, and this is the most obvious, Carey Price. Carey Price has, is showing that when he is on his game, he is in, he is almost near impossible to beat. And he was fantastic, I thought, in this series. Obviously, on the other end, there were there were questionable decisions with Vegas on the goaltending. And I think that goes to DeBoer. Um, in, you know, I mean, it's kind of back and forth. I'm actually, I'm confusing a little bit of the Colorado series. So let me kind of back away from that a little bit, but obviously there were, there were conversations that people had about, Oh, do you start flurry? Do you start Leonard? What's a better matchup? And, you know, and that, that took place a little bit in the Montreal series as well, but price was just really good. Um, you know, I mean, and, and like I said, I mean, we've said before, he's almost a little bit like a reflection of the Montreal Canadians, whenever the, the, Price does well. The Habs also do well just as a whole. He is that much of a, of a booster for them, uh, for the rest of the club, not just obviously the defense or anything like that. Philip Deneau. I wrote in my article that I think that, you know, and going back to last season, there was a lot of thought that Deneau uh, could be considered a Selkie candidate. Um and I think that maybe, event, I mean, I don't know if he's ever going to win it, but maybe eventually he will be a finalist for it. And I mean, this goes back to last year because he, he, he's just really good at shutting people down. And he did a good job of that in the Vegas series as well. And the last is Cole Caulfield and Noah. I mean, I, oh. you know, he, he is so fun to watch. I will be wearing his Jersey by the end of the year. Now you, as you should, JJ Watt basically has a Caulfield jersey or whatever. I mean, he, he's a he's another one who's a big Caulfield fan, and I mean, I totally get it. And and it's ridiculous because we have these conversations of like, oh, like, oh, he's too small to play in the league, and blah blah blah. And it's just like, come on, how many examples do we have to have of players who are good and are small? Marty St. Louis is a hockey Hall of Famer. Brian Gianta, another solid piece, won multiple cups with the Devils. You know, and it's it's how many examples do we need of smaller guys who are successful and are solid contributors for their club? And Caulfield was another thing. Caulfield only had a few assists in in the first two series with Toronto and Winnipeg combined. He turned it up for that Vegas series. He was comfortable. He had four goals. Um, Didn't he have the same amount of goals as the Vegas forwards combined? I think so. And I think that was the, the stat of the series. So, I mean, it's, he's super comfortable. Last I checked, he was third on the team in scoring. Uh, in the playoffs. And he sat the first two games of the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah. That was, coaching. I didn't quite understand. Yeah. But, um, but I'll open it to you guys now. Um, whoever wants to go first. Um, 
you know, just uh, your thoughts on Vegas and Montreal, just how that whole thing transpired. I mean, I think the the series is super, it was a fun series to watch because the whole time you're like, kind of not believing your eyes that the Habs made it this far. I mean, you know, they were a good team, but I don't think anybody really saw them making it this far, let alone to the final. But um, going back to what you said about Vegas, they just didn't have any of that, those goal scores in the regular season who were leading the team. They just didn't really show up. I mean, you had Riley Smith, Chandler Stevenson, you just had all those guys, you know, Jonathan Marshall. had that one big game against Colorado where you had the hat trick. But after that, it was just, they kind of disappeared. And, you know, Riley Smith had that goal in like the last game, but, and I just feel like they just, they had to, you know, run out of steam at some point and you just can't sustain a run that long again. Although I really did want them to go to a final again, but, um, and then again, with the goaltending, you just had some, really miss some really big mistakes that you can't make when you're Mark andre Fleury. So um, especially when you're kind of debating on which goaltender to go to, he's not helping his case when he's making those really big mistakes. And, and especially from a, a player like flower, you don't, you don't expect that from him, but um, it was a, it was a fun series. Um, but that's really, uh, it was disappointing on Vegas's side. The one bad goal that Flurry gave up, uh, it reminded me back in the cup final of 2015 when it was the lightning in Chicago where, where Victor Hedman and Ben Bishop collided and then Patrick Sharp ended up scoring a goal on an empty net. I, you see that, I watched that happen live and my immediate thought was Tampa's not winning the cup because when you make mistakes like that there's a lack of communication there's a lack of whatever experience however you want whatever the issue is and it seems like whenever big mistakes like that happen it's really deteriorating and it's really hard to come back from it not that it's not possible but when flower gave that goal up and then they lost it was just like I mean, that was really deflating. It really was. And it, that's, those are, that's, that was basically on the same level as the Hedman and Bishop collide. It, it's, it's, it was that bad and it's, it's stuff like that happens. But um, like you said, with a guy like Flurry, as experienced as he is, he won the Vesna trophy today. I mean, despite what happened a couple, you know, not too long ago, I mean, he, he did win the, he did win the Vesna. Um, but you know, it's, um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's when you give up those goals, it's just, it's really tough. And, uh, you know, but, uh, but it is what it is. And hopefully that they can take a good positive experience out of this because they were so close, so close to another cup final experience. And I think they will eventually get there with the core that they have. Well, I, I think about what, what we just said, that, that incident happens game three. They're seconds away or a minute away from going up to one. It's a whole new series. It's a whole different series. Here's the problem. Vegas, as much as we love them and everyone loves them, they're too top-heavy. Montreal can roll four deep, and Vegas can roll four deep as well, but they're so offensively dependent on that top six. Stone, Stevenson, Pacioretty, and the Carlson line. That, you know, you don't expect William Carrier or Ryan Reeves to pick up any offensive slack. Matthias Janmark was a great trade deadline pickup. Offensively, he left you wanting to go to through a different player at times. They, so th 
truly they need a number one center. The problem is they probably could have had that guy, but he played on the other team, and that's Nick Suzuki, who is a part of the Pacioretty deal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think Vegas has to look in the mirror this offseason and say, okay, Chandler Stevenson can't be our number one center. We have to slot people back into roles. They have to find a way to go get one. They don't grow on trees, but they have assets they can go get one because that's what they really need. Flip side, I, I post, posted to Twitter, which I think is stupid of me because, you know, who posts stuff on Twitter? Nobody. I want – I wanted to give Montreal's defense some credit. And I said, you know, they're not giving Vegas time or space to make a play. And, and that's why the numbers were shut down. Some guy quotes, oh, it's Carey Price's in their head. No, watch the game. There's no time and space. Ben Sherratt, Shea Weber, they're on them. They're on them the whole way. Vegas didn't have many odd man rushes. Because Montreal didn't turn the puck over. It went deep. And they were aggressive on the four check. And then, you know, Philip Deneau's thrown out there for every defensive zone faceoff, which, by the way, if you're thinking for a sad free agency, you might want to look at Philip Deneau. You know, and then, you know, you brought up Caulfield, who I guess Vegas was on the naughty list because they got a lump of coal in that series. But, But, you know, give Montreal full marks. Vegas has to do some searching. And I really wonder how much Colorado and Minnesota, those long series, took out of Vegas. Mm, That's a good point. Uh, But, yeah, no, a lot of things – everything had to go right for Montreal to win this series. It it just did. I mean, uh, Mike said that the the thing about Montreal is that they – as far as talent level, I don't think – everyone said they were the least talented team in these playoffs – but they made up for it in just hitting hard, working hard as a team and carry price. I mean, he deserves his own shout out. I mean, every time I think, Oh, uh, one of the Tampa Bay players actually said it last night. He said, you know, we watched the Vegas tape and the thing with Montreal is that they did not give Vegas any space in the middle. Everything had to come from the outsides in. And of course, when you have coming from the outsides in, it's much harder to do. There's no space in the middle for Vegas to skate around and get shots on net. And yeah, Montreal just, just shut everything down. The the penalty kill was just phenomenal. Anytime that they were on the power play, they just locked everything down and did not give Vegas any room to operate. And like you all said, Carey Price was just, has just been unreal in these playoffs. There's only one goalie better than him stats wise. And it's the goal he's facing in the, in the Stanley cup final. Um, the thing is, is that people, a lot of people look at the price thing and they say, oh, you, you shouldn't pay $10 million for a goalie. Why not? I mean, well, $10 million is a lot. So I do understand that, that aspect too. But price, is, I mean, we are literally seeing two of the best goalies in the entire league right now in this cup final with Vasilevsky and Price. And if you have a guy that talented like Price, you're not going to let him go. I mean, he is arguably the best goalie in the league and you see how and you see how much like you said Nate, how much of an impact he has he's taking a what everyone is calling a very low talented team he basically carried them to the cup final they rode him like he was playing that well that they rode they sat on his back and he and they rode him and he is just on a mission to get his cup final and another big thing that i just want to mention with with montreal is i think with montreal like it was kind of the case of 
there was no pressure on them. They were the fourth seed in the North. They were the lowest seeded playoff team out of everybody. When you come back to win that series versus Toronto, you are playing with house money. No one expects anything of you. So you're going to play, you're going to just take chances, play lights out. You're, you, you have nothing to lose. Montreal had nothing to lose, even if they lost to Toronto in the first round. After they beat Toronto, they have nothing to lose. So they're just going to play as hard as they can. And that's, I think that's one of the big factors is that they had nothing to lose. So they just went all out. Two quick points on what you said earlier. One on Carey Price. I think on, uh, it should be talked about more part of his games. He actually a third defense because he could go out and handle the puck and he does it really well. The other thing, you don't have to score on the power play, Tom Vegas, but they never gained any momentum off the power play. And that's where Montreal deserves a lot of credit because you can kill all the penalties, but how often is it after a penalty, there's a lot of momentum, all of a sudden pucks in the back of your net. Not in this series. Vegas generated nothing on the power play. No momentum, no nothing. Probably may have gave, given up a shorthanded goal, which talk about shorthanded goals in a minute. But that, that's just the way it works. They were the harder working team. What do we say about Toronto every year? It's will beat skill. Montreal is the definition of will beating skill this playoffs. Right. Well, yeah, and that, and that another big thing that I just want to touch on, Mike, that you said is that when you talk about like the power play and stuff like that. But the other thing is Montreal capitalizes on your mistakes like all the time. Every time, anytime Toronto, Winnipeg, Vegas, anytime they made a turnover in their own zone, anytime they had a bad turnover in the offensive zone, Montreal was right on it more than more often than not with a goal. Paul Byron. Paul Byron with that amazing that amazing play in the Toronto series. Oh, like oh, one of my favorite goals of the playoffs. Oh, how he just kind of flicked it. Oh, beautiful. Oh, oh. But yeah, that, that was one of the big things Montreal did this this postseason to get to this point is that they capitalized on any mistake the opponent made. Mm-hmm. That's what good teams do. Okay. Um so any any other thoughts on this before we we move on to the other to the other series or Vegas go look for a number one center. I hear there's one in Buffalo available. <laughs> he's probably he's probably leaving, but you know what? Listen, I'll tell you this, Moser. Vegas is not offering you a cardboard cutout of me, so I, I can't help you with this deal. Anywho, let's continue. Um, So, um, yeah. So, but anyway, we're going to go now to uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning, the New York Islanders uh, semifinal series. But I am going to pass this now on to Mike, uh, and he's going to kind of break down a little bit, just kind of his thoughts on on the Lightning Islanders series. What you got for So the Tampa Bay Lightning defeated the New York Islanders in seven games winning game seven by a score of one to nothing on a shorthanded goal scored by Yanni Gord. So I'm going to preface this by saying, yes, I am a Rangers fan. And I'm going to preface this by saying, yes, I thought the Tampa Bay, I thought this was an even series. I thought either way, someone's winning a great series. This was a phenomenal series. The difference in this series Tampa's big players were just a little bit better than the Islanders' big-time players. 
That's the difference. Look, Barzell's going to do his thing. I, I mean, Jordan Everly could have given you some more, but, you know, that is what it is. The Beauvillier-Bailey-Nelson line is what it is. And then the Islanders have – I'm going to be honest with you. The Islanders have one of my favorite lines in the league with that fourth line. I love Casey Sezikis. I'm going to talk about him later in the show about how much I would like for a certain team to sign him in free agency. Matt Martin hits anything that moves. Cal Clutterbuck, I call something else, but he hits anything that moves as well. And then other side, look, look, the point line's going to do their thing. Stamkos and Sorelli, that line does their thing. The Yanni Gord line, listen, you can have your perfection line and the McKinnon line. Give me Yanni Gord, Blake Coleman, Barkley Goodrow every day. And the Tampa fourth line does their thing. Vasilevsky, we know, best goalie in the league. But the difference in defense is very small. I give a slight edge to Tampa because Ryan McDonough had, I, I hate saying this, but Ryan McDonough had a great game seven blocking shots. Moser, you know my love for Eric Chernak. Sergachev does his thing. Victor Hedman, uh, he was only, you know, he was, he's good. He was only the Norris finalist this year. But look, we know how good Tampa is. And I don't want to hear the BS of them being 19 million over the cap. You want to be mad at someone? Be mad at Gary Bettman. Tampa is playing by their rules. We just have to deal with it. You don't like it? Change the rules. But this was an evenly played series. The Islanders are very good. No one's going to deny the Islanders are good. My only disappointment is there will be no more games at the Coliseum where I could go spend 10 bucks and watch a bad hockey team play. Uh, yeah, th this series was a lot of fun to watch. It, the Islanders kind of proved that to me, especially the, the Islanders proved that, hey, we're, we're here to stick around. We're, we're not we're no longer that team of what, three, four years ago, that bottom of the league. No one went to the games. We're not that team anymore. And they really took it to the to the lightning. But the lightning just showed that I mentioned this the last time we talked about the lightning uh, Florida series, I believe, Excuse is me. that Florida can or not Florida. Tampa can change their game to fit the style of how the other team's playing. If, if the other team's playing a tough it out, hit, hard hitting defensive, low scoring game. Tampa can do that. If they want, if they need to play Florida, which is scoring five points a game on, on anybody, cool. Lightning can score six. It's just, they, they can mold their game around any sort of play style. And that flexibility really helps in, in winning, winning games. And they showed it in all three of these series. Every series was a different style of play. You had the offensive scoring in the first series. And then this series was the more gutted out defensive minded hard-hitting series so that just shows how good tampa is and so sorry to cut you off no but think about game one when after game one john cooper said we weren't there our heads weren't there you lost by a goal your heads weren't there and then all of a sudden they ratcheted up you know and listen no i, I love the fact you say that they could play any style because they're like the journey song any way you want it that that's how they play any way you want it that's how they play and you, you could stop them. You're not going to hold everyone down on Tampa. You just can't do it. Because if you're going to hold them, shut them down offensively, guess what? Oh, we got the best goalie in the league who will hold you down too. So we're always going to have a chance to win games. Oh, 
by the way, we could just have our offense explode with Kucherov, Point, Palat, Stamco, Sorelli, Yanni Gord, chips in offensively. Look, everyone does everything there. There's not, they're not carried by a guy. Everyone mm-hmm. contributes in their own way. Just to give one quick shout out, though, to the Islander player, uh, uh, was it Ryan Ryan Pollock with that save in game game five? Oh, that was a. Oh. Like I know, I know, I, Rangers fans. I know you don't like the Islanders, but my jaw dropped when he pulled that off. It was incredible. Yeah. Really I, I think the irony of it happening against Ryan McDonough too is kind of weird because Ranger fans ask Ryan McDonough to do that all the time. <laughs> oh. oh man. Yeah, it was just, I mean, as far as Islanders go and just giving Tampa opportunities on the power play when you know that they have a scary, scary power play like that, that's just going to come back and haunt them, and it did. But then you look at the Islanders, and when you're playing a team like Tampa where they have, like you guys said, they have offense from every department. They have it from the blue line. They have, you know, just so much depth, whereas, and this isn't an, an insult to the Habs, but the line that you have to watch out for is Caulfield, Suzuki, and Toffoli, whereas like two of those guys are still learning. And Mm -hmm. with Tampa, you have to be fearful of every line. And I know like the Islanders didn't score more than three goals in any of those games against Tampa. So that just goes to show, you know, if Tampa doesn't win it all again this year, that it was just, you know, it was just a weird series. But it was, again, I agree, it was pretty evenly matched. Tampa just has that edge. I, I want to say this. First of all, a few years ago, the entire perspective on the Islanders was completely different. I still remember just seeing Twitter July 1st of 2018 when Tavares went to Toronto. And I was not happy about that for my own separate reasons, but I, I did have friends who were Islander fans who – it was just, it was just a tough day. I might know what that's like in a couple of weeks, but you know, it's uh, in a different aspect, but, um, but, and I definitely feel, I definitely felt for my friends who are Islander fans just because of, I mean, but they, they built, they went about it the right way. Just because you lose a star player doesn't mean that it's over. And they were built, they had pieces already that were pretty solid. I mean, obviously Barzal, Ovillier. I mean, these were nice pieces that they had, but they were able to, they didn't really sign a lot in, in uh, free agency. I mean, I know they signed a lot of parts, but it wasn't, you know, and they just, you have smart hockey people running the operation over there. Lou Lamorello, who obviously New York and New Jersey knew very well as it was. And then you have Barry Trotz. And to this day, I still have no idea why the Capitals did not re-sign him. I don't get it. They won the cup and it's ah bye. And it's like, really, you don't want to try to like win with him again. I mean, he was great. And you're seeing it now. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Everywhere he goes, it's they're, they're fantastic. And, you know, and, and it starts with that. And we've seen it with other sports too. When you get the right management in place, the roster will fall, will come together and it might take a little bit, but when you have the right people, it's all about asset management. It's all about getting the right pieces to fit the system that you're trying to run. It's about adaptation. There's a little bit of luck involved too, obviously. I mean, that's the team that wins 
Skill, super important. Not saying skill isn't a, isn't a big factor here, but obviously you need your own form of luck too. And, and for the Islanders, they were able to get the right management. They were able to hit on a lot of people, uh, draft picks and everything like that. And uh, they were able to get it to work and they will go to a cup final one of these years. It, it wasn't this year, but I definitely see a cup final in their future. They'll pull it off. They've got the roster to do it. I don't know if they're going to win, the whole thing, but I think that they will, they will eventually, sorry, Mike and Rachel, but you know, it's, well, listen, they, they have some interesting questions coming up cap wise. They, they don't have a lot of room and they have a lot of guys they got to resign. And eventually in two years, that Barzell deals up. So yeah. they've got to figure a way to keep all of these guys under contract because look, as much as I respect and I like Lou, he shouldn't have won GM of the year this year. That should have been Bill Zito. But listen, that's my Kanye West moment for the night. But th- they're going to have to make some decisions here at sooner rather than later. And who stays, who goes, how much guys sign this guy for. You know, you listen to Lou's press conference, I think it was today, talking about, okay, I'd like to bring Casey Sezikis back. Okay, what's the number? I'd like to bring Kyle Palmieri back. But what's going to be the number? You have, and I think Lou will figure this out because if there's one person who can do it, it's Lou. But I'm very curious because Pellick's coming up too. And just ask Pierre Maguire how great Adam Pellick is. He'll tell you. So. Well, the thing, I, I do, at the end of the day, I mean, and, and it's going to be, they're going to have to make some interesting decisions. Right. And this last year with Devin Tays, they ended up in, he was pretty good for, for Colorado, but uh, that was a player that they probably wish that they would have kept and they had to move on. It was, it's sometimes also very interesting to see who they leave expendable for the expansion draft. Like absolutely, that is, I'm very interested to see like, I mean, who, who, who's going to be left for them or who do they try to work a deal out with Seattle to give them this guy? I still remember when Vegas had, like officially got their lists. And I believe if I'm not mistaken, July 17th is when the lists are official. That's the last day that you can put your list in of who's, who is going to be available, who's not. And uh, I want to know what those lists are. So I can, uh, you know, I can maybe like put like a little bit of a Seattle lineup together, but uh, yeah, no, but Listen, if you go to cap friendly, you can do your own little Seattle thing. It's fun. Oh my God. I'll do that. Mm, that's um, interesting. Thank you, Cap Friendly, uh, making this entertaining. Um, but yeah, um, so but we'll see. But uh, they're but they're uh, they're going to be around for a long time for sure. Mm-hmm. Oh, the Metro is loaded next year. If we're, if we're if they're going back to regular divisions, the Metropolitan's going to be loaded, and it's just it's unfortunate, but that's the way it's going to work. Yeah, but you guys are on your way, though. And we'll, we'll get there. No, no, no. Th- think about this. If you're going back to regular divisions next year, I, the, no. the Metro's – Washington's not going anywhere. Boston. Or not Boston. No, Boston. Boston's not going to be. <laughs> Boston Leeds. Cool. That's right. Uh, Pittsburgh. Moser. You, you think the Flyers can be worse than they were this year? I mean, I, I could totally see Carter Hart giving up another nine – to the Rangers, but, you know, who knows on that one? Car- Carolina? We we all thought Carolina could be playing right now. Yeah. You know? Some people and said – The Devils – who knows what the Devils are going to look like? And then, yeah, the Islanders, Columbus. Yeah. Metro's going to be 
the Metro's a death trap next year. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to look different than it did this year, definitely, but it's still going to be probably the hardest division yeah. like it has been. The, the, you would know this. You're a Rangers fan. You cover the team. Any other division, the New York Rangers are a playoff team this year. Yeah, absolutely. And that yeah. was that's part of the pain with the Habs is that they what they had more points in the Habs this uh, they, they did yeah it's like the NHL letting in twenty four teams and being the twenty fifth. You wouldn't know you wouldn't know anything about that, would you, Nate? You're right. I would have no idea about that whatsoever. <laughs> I hey, look, I cover the Flyers and the Lightning. I don't. I don't cover the same. Don't cover the other team. I don't, don't cover them. Oh my gosh. Anyway, um, trying to avoid Sabres talk as much as possible on here, but no, but uh, I realize that that might be inevitable uh, in a bit, but, um, but any, any final thoughts when it comes to lightning Islanders? Um, I guess I, well, I didn't really give my point on the lightning here. Um, Actually I will. I'm going to save that for the, uh, the cup final talk, but um, jumping into game one from last night. Yeah. Let's jump into it. So, Mike, I will have you do the game recap, and then we can kind of go around with thoughts and everything. Got it. All right, so your game one recap of the 2021 Stanley Cup Finals had the Tampa Bay Lightning defeating the Montreal Canadiens by a score of 5-1. to one. The Lightning had goals, two goals from Nikita Kucherov and goals by Eric Chernak, Yanni Gordon, Steven Stamkos on the power play. Montreal's lone goal from Ben Sherratt. So, look, if you're going to look at numbers, I, I think perfect segue was Rachel brought this up earlier. The one line you have to worry about for Montreal was the Suzuki line. Suzuki, Caulfield, Toffoli, all minus threes last night. Sherratt and Petrie were a minus two. We, listen, we could talk about how great Nikita Kucherov is. I'm not going to do that because the world should know. Although I think I saw a stat where he has the most playoff points in the league he, in the he, last six years or something. He's the first. I think I saw a stat that he's the first player to have like. I think it might be like that. I got, let me look this up because uh, that was it. Was it the first player to ever have a goal, uh, a point a game? No, that. Well, Braden Point had the had a goal in nine straight game playoff. Yeah, game. he had he had that, that streak going. No, there was a stat that I saw. So, so Braden pointed three assists. Eric Chernak, a goal, a plus two, three hits in 1903 of ice time. Listen, here's the thing for Montreal. You're not going to win games by having 19 shots on Andre Vasilevsky. You got to get more shots. You got to get traffic to the front. And for the love of Jesus, you can't take any penalties. I don't care how good your PK is. Yeah, no, uh, Montreal did not did not do – uh, a lot in the game last night. Uh, they did give up a lot of power plays. They did kill a lot of them, but yeah, you can't keep giving uh, Tampa t- uh, Tampa uh, opportunities like that because unlike the Vegas series, I think you said, Mike, the big players for the Lightning are showing up in the series. Kucherov, Stamkos, Point, they're showing up, and so you can't give them opportunities. Um, but as far as you know, obviously Tampa did their thing. They're they're fantastic. Everyone knows that. But as far as a Montreal's perspective, there were a couple things that I just did, I could take away from this game. It was one, 
out of everything that Montreal lacked in, they did the a stat did appear at one point, and it was that um, Tampa Bay had given had I believe uh, like eight or nine giveaways, and Montreal only had three. So, like I said before, Montreal capitalizes on mistakes well. So if they can keep that trend going, where Tampa is giving up bad, because there was the the Weber giveaway where Weber almost had a beautiful shot on on Vasilevsky because he had a pure breakaway. Yeah. If Montreal can keep that up, I think the some of the momentum will shift in this series because they can capitalize. They, they will start capitalizing on these opportunities. And second for me is just uh. This is exactly how the series with Vegas went. I know Vegas and Tampa are completely different teams, but Montreal came in the game one in Vegas and they got smoked, but it felt like in game two, they really took the lessons they learned from game one and really turned it around and learned from, from that, from that, from being humiliated in the first game. So maybe it won't happen with Tampa, but I will say I it does make me feel better because, like I said, they did get smoked by Vegas in the first game. So maybe this is kind of the same situation. Maybe they just take this and learn from it, and they can come out stronger in game two. So, so Nate, was your stat the three players in NHL history who have 30 points in consecutive postseasons? It was. It okay. was. That's good. with Gretzky and Lemieux and Nikita Kucherov. Yeah. So that's so that's pretty solid company to be to be with. But um, Rachel, uh, what, what were your thoughts? So, um, I mean, I think that although it's going to be a good series, I still think Tampa's going to have a relatively easy time. I think, you know, it might go to five games. Um, I could see, you know, exactly like um, it was mentioned, they they lost that first game against Vegas and then they were just able to bounce back. So I could totally see that happening. But I just think that the way that Tampa's playing and as it's been mentioned so many times, just everybody's showing up for them. So I just think it's going to be nearly impossible to kind of get past everyone that's just always on point but um a big concern too is the physicality I mean I think they mentioned how many hits there were last night in that first game and then you know as the series goes on it's going to get more and more physical I think that they're just going to go after easier targets you know unfortunately like Suzuki and Caulfield so when those are the guys that you have to look out for and they're more susceptible to injury in a way I think that could be really concerning for Montreal, but um, it's a good series. I mean, it'll be really interesting. I'd, I'd like to see Montreal. I'd like to see it go to like a game seven, but um, I just think that that first game was really, really telling for Tampa. No, if it goes to a game seven, man, I, <laughs> I, I would have to check in on you every period. Oh, if it goes to a game seven, I know Tampa Bay would win, win because they they just show up in game sevens. Like it's their it's their special talent, basically. Um, but you're but you're right, Rachel. It, they will go after those, those smaller guys and guys who have more senseless injury, and that's where you got to learn from this game from this game one to me. And you got to like the big guys like Shea Weber, Ben Sherratt. They got to start getting even more physical to keep them off of those of those younger smaller guys. Here, I want to make a comparison here, and this is the one that Noah may or may not actually like. Um, here's the here's the thing. Okay, I want to compare the Tampa Bay Lightning to the Golden State Warriors. Oh, for now, I, now, now I want, <laughs> I want to compare this. I want to he compare wants Florida, what's California? This is I'm well aware that's not the comparison, but thank you. <laughs> no, 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 but um. 
No, but um, and this is before Durant. This is before Durant sold out and I can't beat him. So I'm going to join him, you know, whole mantra thing. You look at the Golden State Warriors and they just drafted really well. And, and, you know, between Steph Curry and Clay Thompson and Draymond Green, look, I'm not an NBA fan, but even not being an NBA fan, I still knew how good the Warriors were. I mean, that was when I was in college, you know, my, you know, one of my friends, Dan, shout out Dan, uh, and I, we would watch, Sports Center was always on one of our TVs and the Warriors were always a good, t- good chunk of the highlights. And they were so good. They, they beat uh, Michael Jordan's Bulls record or whatever. Didn't win. Most wins in a season. Yeah. But the thing was, is that when they started out, it was all just, they just drafted really well. And that's what this Tampa team is. It's in, in a lot of it, it, Rachel, we said this on the the podcast back in the fall when the lightning won last year, we, Mike, and I think you agreed with me, Stevie Y deserved a ring for that. And I don't know if you, I will argue for that till I, that is a hell I will fight for. I will fight for Stevie Y. He probably deserves a ring if they win this one too. I don't think he ever got one for the first. I think they should have. If they could have waited till they had fans to give hit give it to him because he deserves that ovation because this is his team he built that team yeah look Julian Breeswell has done a good job Steve Eiserman built that 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 is his blueprint Detroit watch Tampa Detroit you could be that one day yeah that's what I, that's what we need two of that in the same division <laughs> I'm gonna be a fan of that. Speaking of, this was my Kucherov point before. The most playoff points since 2013-14. Kucherov's at 125. Sidney Crosby's at 86. Victor Hedman's at 80. Malkin, 77. Ovechkin, 74. Which is really weird because I really just... Just right, Ovechkin, 74 goals, but, you know. And Brain Point, 73. So, he's not only ahead of everyone... He's miles. He's miles ahead of of everyone, and he's not a one trick guy. You got Hedman on there. You've got Braden Point on there. Uh, you know, Stamkos does his thing when he wants to. Kalorn, they're just so deep. That's the difference between them and Vegas. Vegas was so top heavy. This is we can roll four lines on you, and you're not going to blink an eye. Yeah, I mean, look. Vasilevsky, one of the best at his position. Hedman, one of the best at his position. Stamkos, one of the best at his position. Kucherov, another guy who's one of the best at his position. And, oh, when we don't have that Stamkos guy playing, we also have this Braden Point guy who's pretty solid. It's like they always manage to find somebody that's good. Even Yanni Gord. I love this story about Yanni Gord because he was – there was one point where he was in the ECHL. And he was with uh, San Jose's AHL club and everything like that. I mean, it's a really, it's a really good story because he, he was undrafted and he, you know, had his time a couple seasons in the ECHL and the AHL. And then basically Yzerman took a flyer on him and said, Oh, I like what this guy brings. We'll see what we can develop with him." And the crunch was, the crunch was a big part of his development. And he became the player that we know of today. And, and I think another thing that needs to be credited while we're talking about the crunch is that the Syracuse Crunch run their operations, their style of play very similar to Tampa. 
And not everybody does that. And what's nice about that is because many years ago, you could look back. It's like, oh, you could tell this guy's in his first NHL game coming from the AHL. And it looks like he's like a fish out of water, blah, 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 needs to adjust. But that's really not the case anymore, because if you have an AHL team where the team is, has a similar operation, similar game, game style of play, then, you know, when you get up to Tampa or whatever, it's all just plug them in. I mean, the, the biggest thing was like, I think Ross Colton was one example of this, where all of a sudden he, you know, he's making an impact right away. Well, I mean, he, you know, he already knows the system before he even plays an NHL game. And that's huge. And I'm surprised more teams don't do that than, you know, and eventually I feel like that's not going to be really as much of an advantage, but Tampa's taken such everything they touch turns to gold and it's, there was no selling out. There was no, Oh, they got this great player. It's they drafted, they made solid acquisitions, Coleman and Goudreau still paying dividends from lat from last year and it's just they all mesh well they have a system it works and they're just a well-oiled machine they're the definition in hockey of a well-oiled machine it's just it's just get the puck shoot score repeat like robots I, i'm very happy you brought up the coleman and goodrum because think about it that that that's the like we took the Islanders, their fourth lines, their identity line. The identity line for Tampa is that Yanni Gord line with Coleman and Good. They play fast, they play physical, and they chip in offensively. They do everything John Cooper asks them to do. Plus, they're playing against top lines. And as president of the Yanni Gord fan club, I would like to welcome you for your membership. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. So uh, any final thoughts on that before we get to just some kind of brief news? No, I'm sorry. It's Tampa and six. You can, yeah, I, I knew you'd all oh, say you all say it. first time, Noah. What were you going to say the first time? Oh, I, I was just going to say Montreal and six. I, I, can't, <laughs> I, can't, I can't go against my boys. What are you asking me to do? I thought you were going to say something like, Mike, you could take that prediction and like shove it or something like no, that. Oh, no, come no. on. This is a family friendly show. <laughs> I was going to yeah. say, I was going to run a left field. No, I, no, uh, it's no, I, I can't go against my boys. I'm going to say Montreal and six. I think, I think they could take the lessons like they did the Vegas series. Rachel, what do you, what do you, what do you think is going to win? Um, Tampa. I think it's, uh, sorry, Noah, but <laughs> I think it's, <laughs> it's fine. It's fine straight line i'll go uh tampa and six sorry noah your table for one is ready and i'll, I'll i've ridden that table of one the entire playoffs so you have I, i'm sure he, he's not on camera so he's writing all of this down and he's gonna write us a nasty letter or email <laughs> after this he's gonna write mine first because i well you, you, you have yours coming so i'm not i'm not saying nothing <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. no rachel long story short i didn't have uh you know, we were taking oh i was going to miss and make the playoffs i didn't before the season started i didn't have montreal making it he had montreal and dead last in the north <laughs> okay i don't know if it was dead last no I, you had him dead last you had the dead last I don't think it was dead last. It was dead last. Look, I'm willing to admit when I'm wrong. Okay, no. But no, no, no it, yeah, I know. I was wrong about that. And Noah, I am very sorry. And I am willing to put <laughs> the words on that. But 
I'm, I don't think I'm going to regret this next one. I, I do think Tampa. I'm going Tampa. Right. I do think they're going to. Okay. A couple news and notes. And we, we got to get to Rangers talk because it's getting late. Um, so um, first of all, uh, the Seattle Kraken officially have a head coach. And it was one that I did. I'm pretty sure I don't want to speak for all of us, but it definitely for me, I did not expect this hire at all for head coach. Um, the Kraken hired former Philadelphia Flyers head coach, Dave Haxtell. Um, real quick for me, uh, this was a surprising move as, as many people thought I Mike, we originally thought that it was going to be Gerard Gallant. We thought that it was going to be expansion part two for Gallant. And oh, that uh, would have been so much fun. Well, I mean, I mean, I know you're you're fine with how what what did transpire, but oh yeah, we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, yeah, but uh, and after Gallant wasn't the, was officially with the Rangers, I kind of thought that they were either going to go with Tockett or or I didn't really know if Tortorella was going to be an option, but I know that uh, you know, I mean, some tells me that guy might get another job in the league at some point, Tortorella, but um, and then when when. Uh, when Tockett did not get the Seattle job, I'm like, wait a minute. Does that mean the Sabres are going to get Tockett? Cause I kind of want to keep Granado. We don't have to really talk about that, but, um, but what are your guys thoughts on Haxtell is, is the, is the choice. Obviously it didn't really work out with the flyers. And then he was an assistant with the Leafs for a little bit. Rachel, if you want to go first. Yeah. So definitely the first thing that comes to mind is his limited um, experience. He had those two years as an assistant coach, but with the flyers um, too. And there was just, you hear kind of conflicting things about him too, which is really interesting. And even, you know, things that he says he's, I was reading about what he kind of says about himself and he's um, I don't want to say he's in his head in a bad way, but he, he very much minds his own business and, he seems very self-reflective, which is a good thing because he's had some time off to kind of like, you know, get back in the coaching swing of things and kind of like figure out what kind of coach he wants to be and what worked, what didn't work. Um, you know, he said that he prioritizes communication, but at the same time, he really needs to work on that. So I think as long as he's self-aware of his downfalls and what didn't work in Philly and he can apply those things in Seattle. I think it could be, you know, obviously nobody saw it coming, but I think that they could really make the most of it. Obviously they saw something, you know, with him, you don't just hire anybody as an inaugural coach for a, a team that's coming into the league. So, um, you know, it's, it, it's definitely interesting with the limited experience. I mean, you talk about Gallant in Vegas and he didn't have like a crazy amount of, of history coaching in the league either, but, um, just because he really had that one stint as a head coach in Philly. And I just think it's really interesting, but yeah, definitely didn't see that coming. And, and that's the thing too, is, I mean, obviously Gallant was with the Panthers before he was with Vegas, but he basically kind of made a name for himself when he was with the Golden Knights. And, and there's a chance that Haxall could do the same thing. I mean, just cause it didn't work out in Philly. I mean, it, it, Gallant made it, made a big name for himself obviously it was a big reason that he was able to get the Rangers head coaching gig. Um, but yeah. And so we'll definitely see if the, uh, how the second chance works out for Axel, Mike or Noah. Well, Axel went 134, 101 and 42 in his career in Philly went to the playoffs in two of those three seasons and you know, lost the first round. I find it interesting because obviously Ron Francis did his due diligence. He interviewed who was, whoever was available and he, so something happened. Now, my question is, because 
thing about Dave Haxtell has that college coaching background. So he gets to set his team up how he wanted to in recruiting and how they want to play. Expansion draft and recruiting aren't that different here. Right. So he's going to, so what North Dakota guys does he take? What former flyer does he take? Does he have this? He's been in Toronto the last few years. Does he have a specific maple leaf he really likes? All these things now play together where, okay, these other guys, except with Gerard Gallant, who obviously did the due diligence for Vegas, but he's off the table now. So I kind of wonder about that. And obviously, Rod Brendamore had to be in that conversation before he signed his extension. Congrats to Rod Brendamore. Well-deserved for the Jack Adams one. But I find I'm interested. I'm very interested in this because I wonder, does someone like TJ Oshie in Washington, if he's available on this, how quickly does he pounce? Because he played for him in North Dakota. What yeah. for? Shane Gostas, Baron Philly, probably had his best year under Dave Haxtell. Is that a formidable thing that happens here? Very interesting hire here by Ronnie Francis. So I, I'm in on, on Dave Haxtell. Yeah, it's an interesting, very interesting hire. Like you, you, Mike said pretty much everything, and sort of Rachel is. Just, it's interesting because he he's been around the league for so long, and he does have the college experience. And Mike said, when you have all those experiences of you've worked with so many different players, maybe you have some guys where oh, I really like this guy, and they're not using him in Toronto, or they're not using him in wherever else you know this player might be. So to have that ability to literally shape your team. That's a lot of power to a coach and a coach that has experience with a lot of players is going to be able to put a lot of guys together because yeah, he's worked with a bunch of players. He, he probably is already thinking of, Oh, I could put this guy on a line with this guy and they will really work. And if I had these two goalies, maybe they will work really well together. They can learn from each other, blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. So I like the hire by the Kraken. Um, I think, you know, if you can't get Gallant, I think Haxall was one of the next best options. And I'll be honest, I had no idea he was an assistant in Toronto either. I didn't either. I'll be honest. I I thought he was he was out of maybe not necessarily out of the sport, but I thought that he was just maybe an assistant. Moser, this is the I didn't realize Jimmy VC was in Toronto. Tweet all over again. It is, and then he all of a sudden ended up in Vancouver. And <laughs> the Jimmy VC, I look at Jimmy VC experience has to be a ride somewhere. That. <laughs> That whole that whole thing, yeah. You go to different cities every like every year. Um, yeah, that whole looking back on that when that was a sweepstakes in the beginning, like he wasn't going to sign in Nashville. Just what a weird thing because that did not pan out at all, at all. But it's what it is. It's it's with any sport. You got your your uh, your. I don't call, I don't want to call him a bust because he he's a decent player, but um, you know you just have just weird instances. Remember the Will Butcher thing too, when that was a oh, Will Butcher, sure. Devil legend. Will Butcher. Alrighty. So a, a couple NHL announcements that I want to get off to, and then we can talk about the Rangers stuff. So real quick, uh, the NHL announced yesterday that the outdoor game, the outdoor games for next season, um, 2022, um, the NHL winter classic will be January 1st at target field in Minneapolis home of the Minnesota Twins and the MLB. It's going to be the Wild hosting the St. Louis Blues. Uh, the 2022 Navy Federal Credit Union NHL Stadium Series, try saying that 10 times fast, 
that's going to be played February 26th, 2022 at Nissan Stadium in Nashville. Uh, That's home of the Tennessee Titans. And that will be between the Predators and the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, Gary Bettman yesterday also said that the NHL is planning to hold a Tim Hortons Heritage Classic in March. But the details beyond that are, there are none at this point. So, um, and Vegas will also host the 2022 NHL All-Star Game weekend. And that is going to be really interesting. I think Vegas is going to put on a heck of a performance. They do awesome pregame performances before each each Golden Knights game. So, you know, I mean, first of all, you've got the strip right there. I mean, the players, you know, are going to, that's the one excuse that they can actually go there, you know, and, you know, have a good time and everything like that. But, uh, but yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting. We years, new year is just about to start. We got the expansion draft, the regular draft and everything like that. And, and the season's just ending now. You think for the skills challenge on, on the night before they'll do like a, a Texas Hold'em challenge just to see I've who's the best time. gambler because it's Vegas. Oh my God. If only. Definitely they wouldn't, they wouldn't take a marketing opportunity like that. With uh, NHL. This is such a missed good. opportunity. If only they, they knew people who would take chances. Oh. All right. So, um, but, uh, and then, uh, and then I might as well throw it in. I wasn't going to, but uh, the uh, Sabres decided to remove the interim tag off of Don Granado today. Definitely think real quick that that was the right decision. I know there was talk about other guys, possibly Bruce Boudreaux, maybe being interested in the job. Um, I'm okay with Granado. I think a lot of the younger players for the Sabres this past season, once Kruger was out and Granado was in, I think that they played a little bit better. It's a lot. I said this on Twitter. It's going to be a long road ahead, a long road ahead. And it's going to be really difficult, especially if guys like Eichel and Reinhardt are going to be gone. But you, you got to hit on those trades. Got to hit on them. You, you cannot have another Ryan O'Reilly debacle or a Taylor Hall debacle. I wouldn't trade them in the division. And no offense to uh, the Rangers uh, fans among us, but uh, I wouldn't trade them in the conference either. So. Um, is it the long and winding road though? You said the long road ahead or long and winding road. It's going to be probably winding too. So, Uh but, um, but yeah, so alrighty. So, but, uh, I want to, uh, we're, we're now we're going to move to the New York Rangers talk and this will be the final topic discussion that we have of the night. And, uh, we're going to, I'm going to, before I toss it to the floor here for just talk on the Rangers, pass it on to first Rachel and then, and then Mike as well. Um, I did um, real short. And again, this is plugging and Rachel will have you plug your articles and everything at the very end. Um, I read, I read, first of all, I mean, I read it before, but I read your piece again on the, uh, on the Rangers about the idea of having Gallant as coach before, obviously he was, he was hired as coach and uh, I thought it was really, you brought up some really important uh, factors in here in uh, quote, uh, the blue shirts will, requ- will require a replacement head coach who is patient, experienced and highly communicative. And I know you said in this article that Gallant was, you thought was the, was the hire to go with. And I agree entirely. And just with the idea of patience, I mean, you mentioned obviously uh, in the article, with the golden Knights, it was a bunch of, you know, misfits or however you, you want to say it, 
um, you know, the, the, he helped create a culture where they came together and they played for one another. And obviously when you get a bunch of players who came from different systems, patience is going to be needed. And he couldn't have been more patient and the results were immediate, but you know, I definitely think Galan is a very patient guy and uh, it, it was going to take a little bit of time. They kept getting better as the season progressed. They did win quite a bit right away, but uh, I definitely think that Galan is a guy that, that has a lot of patience. Um, obviously very experienced. He's more experienced now, obviously with the Vegas, uh, with the Vegas couple years. And I want to say, as well when Gallant was fired from Vegas. I thought that was a little bit early. I thought it was too early when that happened. Um, should have been around a little bit longer, but it is what it is. Rangers capitalized on that. And uh, so he's got that experience and he's highly communicative. I definitely think that whenever I've seen him behind the bench, he's very communicative with his players. And at the point now with where the Rangers are at, they're not, I mean, obviously they do have younger guys on there, but they're at a point right now where they're not, it's not really as much of a learning and growing process, but now it's, it's trying to get to that next step. Let's make the postseason. Let's, you know, do all this. And Gallant, I think is a nice transitional coach. Um, like, like you mentioned in your article, I mean, all the points are there. He, he's perfect for where the Rangers are at right now. So I will, uh, but I just wanted to, uh, to, and also Adam Fox won the Norris Trophy. So the, the, we, we're, we covered all the, uh, the notes that I wanted to talk about for the Rangers. So uh, Rachel, I will, ta- I will give you the, uh, the floor right now and uh, whatever, you, whatever you feel about just on the Rangers, the offseason, anything that you, you know, what direction, I guess, do you think that they're going to go in the offseason? Yeah, so um, obviously – starting with the Gallant hire, I mean, the whole kind of reason behind firing David Quinn in the first place was they need to make the transition. They're ready to win now. And obviously um, Dolan wants to completely like shake up things. So the first step of that is really like hiring a coach. That's the complete opposite of David Quinn, which is what you have in Gallant. So you have a guy who's patient, who's going to work with the veteran guys, who's going to trust his young players. He's not going to really make you accountable for things like that. And, and again, the patience comes into it because with the Rangers, they still have so many different pieces and so many different parts of the organization. I mean, you look at this past season, you have Kravtsov who came over from Russia. Obviously that's going to be a culture shock for him. And you're going to need that guy who's patient with him. And then you have guys who are, you know, funneling up from the Hartford Wolf pack. So you're just going to have guys coming in every different direction you're going to have guys that are going to be switching lines. They're just going to try and, you know, find things that work, trying to maximize their players. And that's another thing that Galan's really good at is maximizing what he has to work with. So you're going to need that patience and you're going to um, need to kind of shape this group to grow together. And I think Galan's going to be a really good fit with that. So, um, you know, I definitely still think that he was the best option for the Rangers. I think, like you said, it's, He's going to be the right fit for where they need to be at, where he doesn't have the most um, experience in development, which is going to be really interesting to see how he tackles that because he still does have some players that are in need of some development or they could just be in need of some extra opportunity, which he's going to be more than open to giving them. Whereas David Quinn, you know, was a little bit more stingy. So it's going to be really interesting to see how he handles 
you know, kind of like the last stages of development with some of these players. And I think he's just going to really get along well with the veterans because in Vegas, he kind of had, you know, a mix. He had, you know, some younger guys and then he had the veterans. So um, just really excited about that. And then Adam Fox, <laughs> super exciting announcement, um, especially for a guy who's in his second year, just, just the whole process of acquiring him from Carolina. That was just so seamless. And um, just to see the kind of player that he's become is really, really exciting. I mean, he does it all really. And I think that's probably one of the biggest arguments for why he should have and did win the Norris because he just does it all. And, and again, only in his second year. So uh, really exciting. I think they've made a lot of, obviously they've made a lot of big moves with firing and, and management and replacing David Quinn, but um, hopefully Gallant's here for a long time. Hopefully he does well. It's, it just seems like the shelf life for NHL coaches this, this time is about three years. So, um, you know, who knows what they'll accomplish in three years from now. And, and on the, on the Adam Fox point, I, I can't wrap my head around how not even just Carolina, but also Calgary just both. Cause he said he wouldn't sign in Calgary. Oh, he did. Okay. Yeah, he, he didn't want to sign either place. So, I mean, it, so it works it out for, so perfectly for the Rangers. Yeah. It's really worked perfect. out for the Rangers. I mean, it's like, it's like trying, cause like, I mean, it's like, you know, I read, you know, with Calgary and Carolina, it's like, I'm trying to imagine him on there and it's just. Well, think, think about Carolina for a second. You'd have Slavin, Brett Pesci. You have, we're going to talk Dougie Hamilton during the off season where he winds up. You know, could have had Adam Fox. That would have been wild. Adam Fox on Fox, basically, because they played on Fox. Yeah. He's my favorite defenseman, honestly, to watch in the league. I mean, look, I like Hedman, but but Fox is just – you get on the edge of your seat whenever he has the puck. I mean, he's always going to do something. It seems like there's always some great play, and he starts it out. And like I said, one of my favorite defensemen, definitely for sure. And I'm excited to watch him for the next. This isn't the first Norris. This is the last Norris he's going to win. He's going to win probably a couple more at least. So, I mean, uh, the, the sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. But the the crazy thing with Fox, too, is you you look at it and you're like, well, who's his D partner? Like, how much is he really helping? And it's your, you're like, oh, it's Ryan Lindgren. A lot of people are like, who is that? And it's crazy to see, like, how well – boxes help Lindgren too and it they both help each other um but it's not even like he has a crazy defensive partner I mean you look at Truba and what Truba has done this year and he has Miller as his partner and again another pair that's really been able to help each other but you know Ryan Lindgren's not a league name and it's it's so funny because a lot of people don't realize that that's who Adam Fox is playing with because I don't want to say he takes away all the attention because credit needs to be given to Lindgren too but it's, it's just crazy, especially with kind of at points in the Rangers season with the D pairs, they were makeshift pairs. I mean, you had Truba who was out, you had Lindgren who was out. We had some struggle pairings. And despite all of that, I think that the defensive departments come along really well. There's two defensemen that I want to ask you uh, real quick. Uh, first, uh, I just your thoughts on Keandre Miller and the second one I want to ask is about Braden Schneider, just out of curiosity, because I have heard his name a few times, and I'm just cu- kind of curious, uh, just perspective on how he is. 
Mike, Mike, sorry, I have to cut you off. Mike, no, this is not for a Sabres trade. All right. Uh, you're going to say no to my <laughs> Schneider cardboard cutout and Brian oh. Strong. I just wanted to know out of curiosity about Keandre Miller and Schneider. There's nothing to read into about this. Oh, I read so many leaves into this. <laughs> the, the first thing that comes to mind when I think about Miller personally is, um, you know, he's that big physical body that the Rangers needed and he's on the blue line. So that's even better. Um, but the thing that sticks out to me the most is just his shot. I think it's just, it's scary. It's really, really scary. And I think that's one of the not really recognized parts of his game is that he has such a hard shot and it's really, really scary to defend against. And, you know, I just see him just being one of those guys who's just like glued to the blue line, just scoring from there, but he does have that defensive upside as well. So He's not just like lacking in one part of his game. You know, he contributes all over. But I think just from from his first season, there's so much to like. So um, in terms of Braden Schneider, again, um, definitely not as as much of a big body as um, Miller. But I think he's going to be a really, really great addition to the team, too. Um, You know, he only had a few games with the Wolfpack. I think he picked up an assist. But um, defensively I think that's kind of where his strong suit is so you know I'm I like more of the defensive defenseman rather than the offensive so whenever we get somebody like that it's really exciting so I think that's where he's going to play more of a role in it and again uh, we see it every single season that the Stanley Cup team they're a physical team they're going to need guys that you know have those punishing hits and can shut down guys and you think of the Rangers and they really don't have anyone like that. And even if they do, it's, you know, a couple guys that take on that responsibility. You can't go long-term with that. So, you know, I'm never going to shy away from like a defensive defender um, who has that physical presence because that really is like the most glaring lack I'd say so far. And the thing about Miller, just to go back to Keandre Miller, and I think the same thing could be said about Alexei Lafreniere. We have to remember, there was no preseason, and it was a week of training camp. But as the season went along, both of them got so much better. And Keandre Miller came in, and he was kind of thrusted into a top four role. He was playing with Jacob Truba from the start. And it's like, okay, he, I thought we were easy. No, he, he has to eat 18, 19 minutes. You know, they said, Fox, uh, we're going to slow Fox. No, Fox is still, Fox and Lundgren are still playing 25, 28 minutes a night. So the big four, I'm going to call them the big four because I love Ryan Lindgren because if you just watch him, you could, he literally puts his blood, sweat, and tears into this team because he's always bleeding. (laughs) But the the big four is going to be the big four. You're just going to have to, we're going to have to worry about what's that last D pair looking like? Cause I never want to see Jack Johnson in a Ranger sweater again. You want Holden back? Dude, Texas Holden was so good for Vegas in the playoffs, but Nick Holden was just such a better alias on the show white collar. But you know, I no, uh, no, I don't want Nick Holden because that would mean Mark Stahl's coming back, and I, I don't need that. I was going to say, you, out of all <laughs> the times that you would text listen, me, do you I, want Mark Stahl? Listen, and I, I, I said no. I, I, I'm going to make this comparison because I think it's fair because we were talking about Fox and Lindgren before. 
Now, Fox is more offensively gifted, but it gives you McDonough and Girardi vibes because Lindgren plays Girardi's role. And I'm not just saying that because he wears 55. That's just who he reminds me of. It's Dan Girardi. Fox, more offensively gifted than McDonough was, but game is similar. Great breakout pass, good skater, does things right. So those be the comparisons for me. But I love the big four. I do. Yeah, especially, I mean, a lot of pressure was put on Truba this season to kind of, you know, okay, when is Truba going to break out? When is he going to be that player that he was in Winnipeg? So then you have Keandre Miller, who's out of college, and he's, like, ready to, you know, throw in a Rangers jersey. And like you mentioned, he's tethered to Jacob Truba, who has so much pressure on him. And it's just – it's actually unbelievable how well I think they've just been able not only just Truba and Miller but I think like I said the defensive makeshift pairs have been able to find chemistry it's just it's kind of hard to believe but um I'll take it (laughs) so last week at the Gallant introductory press conference also I'd like to mention that I said this earlier uh, on an earlier episode the hiring of the coach was going to depend on what I thought of Chris Drury because I thought if it was Torts coming back, Drury's not calling the shots. That's Dolan saving. This seems like a Drury pick, so I'm I'm going to savor my criticism for Chris Drury. But they mentioned playing with a captain next year, which is something the Rangers hadn't done in years past. And if you talk to Rangers fans, it's Kreider or it's Mika Zibanejad, however you want to go about it. Listening to beat reporters and listening to Drury, there are a lot of people who might pull the Jacob Truba card for captain. I don't dislike that. Although I I think you can make a case for Ryan Lindgren, but people are going to say he's too young. Where are you on who should be the captain next year, if they should have one? So I think it kind of makes sense. I mean... They had so many opportunities to name Kreider the captain and they Mm -hmm. just didn't take it. They had opportunities to name Zibanejad the captain and they didn't take it. So that definitely shows that they're holding out for somebody, but I don't think that a lot of people would be like, okay, Truba must be next in line for that. So um, I think of Truba and I still think of somebody who's on the younger end of things. And even though they're a young team, he's like at that veteran age now, but um, that's just because I was used to watching him in Winnipeg. So I think he'd be a great leadership. He definitely stepped up and, and really reveled in that role this year. So um, I think it would be great for him. Um, but I don't, I don't know um, with the rest of the guys with Kreider and Zibanejad. I mean, obviously they're going to support him no matter what, but it, it's also difficult because so much of the locker room climate plays into it. And obviously we don't see that. So I just think if they weren't really thrilled with Kreider as a Banajad, it's because they didn't really see him, see them in that role. So um, they just must be waiting for somebody else. I mean, you can even make the argument that Fox could be the captain. So I've seen people, you know, Panarin should be the captain. I think Ryan Strom really shed a lot of light on Panarin and his absence with that whole, crazy situation and how much of a of a presence that Panarin is but people don't see that so um, it's interesting that his name wasn't brought up sooner or even before Truba's but 
I just um I wouldn't be against Truba being the captain at all. I think uh, really yeah, I'm just you know what I read from people that you know they said oh this sounds like Truba. The other thing on, on Panarin is and you mentioned it, the Rangers went four and five I think in those nine games. If he's there and let's say they go six and three seven, that could be a playoff spot. That could have been a playoff spot. So there were so many other situations that happened. You have that situation, but Tony D'Angelo stuff, which, you know, that's water over the bridge. Um, Nate brought up your article on Gallant, but where were you on David Quinn? Did you want David? Because I'll be honest, I, I was a David Quinn supporter. I had no issues if David Quinn was coming back next year. Because to me, this past season was all about, listen, you don't have to make the playoffs, especially once Boston gets added to the division. You don't have to make the playoffs. It was all about the young kids growing. Were you okay if David Quinn was coming back or were you, no, I'm done. I think, yeah, I'm I'm in the same boat. I would have been okay if this season he was here again. I think that this definitely would have been, you know, a career determined for him if he was going to be, again uh the coach again next season so um I mean you can't argue that he developed players you can't say that Capo Caco didn't um you know develop under Quinn so I wasn't you know out for this guy's neck like he needs to be gone immediately but I didn't think that he was a long-term solution either and that wasn't really what he was hired for either he was hired for development which is what he did now did he really blow anything out of the water I don't think so but um, I mean, look at look at what they did. They how they ended. It wasn't like horrible. It wasn't, you know, I think it was better than what some people would have expected. And meanwhile, they were still in that mindset of rebuilding and developing. And that was the focus. So that's what he came in to do. That's what he did. Uh, he didn't necessarily like excel in it, but I think he, you know, he did his job and and that was that. But I was shocked um that they did fire him but again when you know the shelf life these days is like three years it's really not that surprising yeah i, I think more shocking was the firing of jeff gorton and john davidson but yeah. i want i wanted to get to that too so james dolan got a james dolan <sighs> essentially that's what that leads to <laughs> was was this dolan or was this sather with dolan their hands are in each other's pockets. Uh, I mean, they're going to say it's Dolan. I'm going to say it was both of them. I, I, which, by the way, if you're going to write a letter saying, listen, we're going to go through this, stick to the plan. The plan's working. That's the part that bothers me the most. The plan is successful right now. And you're just going to go and rip it up because – well, I, I can't sell tickets for, you know, 150 bucks at MSG. Guess what, dude? In the middle of a pandemic, you can't do that anyway. This team is on the right course. Now, Nate, I'm going to bring up the name in a few minutes, but there is a move you don't make. But I'm fearful the Rangers will make that move because the owner is so hungry to make a stupid move, which this is good. Listen, it's going to be the Carmelo Anthony deal of the Rangers. He's going to give up everything for one guy. Oh, don't, don't, don't compare him to Melo. No, that's what he would do. I'm telling you right now. That's what he'd do. 
I mean, you talk about like the blueprint that was laid out in Tampa and you think about all the work that Gorton did acquiring these picks and, and they did so well. Yeah, they're trade chips, but you also have so much faith in the youth that you have coming up that you can't just trade them all away for. And this is no offense to Jack Eichel. He is a great player, but it doesn't make sense that, that much, especially with the asking price that Buffalo has. So when you have a player like Eichel, it's, it's, you're going to be in like a Vegas situation again, where you're top heavy, the Rangers, they don't rely on those bottom six guys. And that's what they need to target this offseason. They don't need Jack Eichel because you're top heavy. When you have guys like Julian Gauthier, who has the speed, but he doesn't really bring much else. Yeah. You have those guys in the bottom six who they have their own skill set, but you can't just rely on their speed. They have to bring something else to the table. So those are the kinds of acquisitions that you need to look at in the off season rather than these big names. They should be set with big names. I don't think that they should be looking for anybody crazy. I think like the, the highest name that they should look at is Sezekis and, and he's not really like a huge name. So I just think an Eichel trade doesn't make a lot of sense. I think they're still going to ask for a ton, which, you know, that's, that's what they want to do. And I just think that it would be a little silly. I think they would give up a lot and it would just go against everything that JD did. JD, JD, JD. (laughs) Same page, Nate. I only say Jack's going to the Rangers to anger you, but you know. Listen, no, I listen. Listen, I'm with you. So, so I look at some targets here and I look, Casey Zizekas would be my number one target. If you don't get him, Sean Corrali in Boston is another guy. Revamp this bottom six. Look, I've been a Brett Howden supporter. I don't know what to say other than the offense isn't there. Defensively, he's eh. So whether it's him, whether it's Gautier, one of those guys could go to Seattle and play in Seattle. Um, so Corrali, Sezik. I would love to bring back Colin Blackwell because I thought for consistency purposes – a guy I really didn't expect anything from. He gave you a really good year and played in roles he probably didn't think he would play in. Yeah, and he did well in those roles, yeah. too. He was given a lot of responsibility, and he willingly took that, and he shocked everybody. I mean, he came, he joined the team as, you know, bait for Seattle, and I think you kind of have to have that conversation about Kevin Rooney, again, kind of in the same boat where he was, okay, bye, he's going to the expansion. But you kind of have to have that conversation with Brett Howden. I mean, what did David Quinn say that Brett Howden's upside was, that he was good on like the penalty kill, I think. And it's, you got to weigh those things. Okay, maybe he's good on the penalty kill. You gave him a couple seasons to really excel. He didn't. Yeah. You have Colin Blackwell come in, makes an immediate splash, and you just, you need to reevaluate those things like that. Yeah, so, so, so that's those are guys I would look at. Um, I, I would like to bring back Brendan Smith too. Look, I, I thought out of all the defensemen not named Fox, Lindgren, Miller, you, you look at what Brendan Smith brought at the end of the year, it was that that's that's serviceable, that's quality. Maybe he's not in the top four, but he can play, he can get leadership you 12 was there minutes. too. Yeah. So that's a guy you got to look at to bring back in my mind. But I, I don't think they have to go big game hunting. I'm with you. But there's small 
pieces they should go get, whether it's Zeke, it's Corral. And I don't know what I've got to be honest. I don't know what Kratzov's role is, but I think Galante, I'm not going to play young guys really on a fourth line. I'm not going to do that. So maybe you could swing a deal where you trade one of the other young wingers and you get something nice in return and you package that off for some. There's so many ways they can go because they have so many assets to do this, but they just got to. The top six is the top six. You're going to have the Zabanajad. I, I also, I don't know what you think a Zabanajad extension looks like, but that's got to be coming. You know, you got 24, I think around 24, 25 million in cap space. Zabanajad's near 30, what, four or five years. Is that something you're looking at? I, you know, the other thing is he scored 40 goals two years ago last year. I give him a little bit of a pass. He had COVID, and he played really well against the Flyers, and he was good at the end, but, you know. Yeah, you could definitely see flashes of the old Zibanejad coming back. I don't think that you should extend him for a crazy long time. Like, mm-hmm. I think four or five, you know, yeah. that would be pushing it a little bit. But um, exactly, a couple seasons ago, he was scoring 40 goals. So I think that it's just you, – and you could see, too, he wasn't – he really shied away from wanting to kind of use COVID as the explanation for why this season was different from him. And I respect him for that, but you, you couldn't help but see that that was the problem too. He just, he didn't really have like the stamina that he, that we were used to seeing. And, and obviously uh, the fact that he got better as the season went on kind of, you know, helps strengthen that argument. So um, that's definitely a huge thing that you have to take into consideration. The cap situation is like not going to be, that ideal soon you have that extension you have a bunch of guys that you need to sign so you can't you can't afford to make that huge move this offseason it's just not gonna work what do you think about a booch because booch Devich is an RFA and he's coming off his best year ever the year I'll be us Ranger fans have been waiting for out of Pavel booch yeah um he's <laughs> he's uh I've been going back and forth like what is kind of the best thing to do with him because he is coming off his best year, like you mentioned, but is, is that enough to earn him whatever signing he gets? So do you sign him to one or two years and, and who knows where you go with that? I think two years would kind of be a good idea, but you know, what kind of money is he going to ask for? And it's, there's a lot that goes into it. It's uh, I'm glad that's not my job. (laughs) Yeah. For, for me, and I'm with you, I, I, because eventually you would like your top line right wing to be Kapokaka. And this is not enough because I, I thought Kapokaka last year was his rookie year. He wasn't great. I thought this year when he played well, he either got hurt or he went on the COVID list. Or, so he couldn't have the consistency level you want, but he just looked more comfortable this year, Kapokaka. And I thought, the best thing David Quinn did was he put Kako with Heedle and Lafreniere. Mm-hmm. And Philip Heedle is a guy we don't talk about enough who was also having his best year. And then he broke his collarbone, but then he came back and he was playing at the level he was when he left. So eventually Philip Heedle's going to slide in this lineup too, slide up in this lineup. You, th- th- that is what, what's the beauty, beautiful thing about these young players is, they're not in the role you want them in now, 
but eventually you're going to slide them up. And, and look, I, if I, I'm not Gerard Gallant, I don't have his phone number. I can't text him. But that's a line going into next year. I would keep. I would keep that kid line together because they brought energy and they did some things that were really good. Yeah, I mean, you you have a log jam of wingers. There's no disputing that. But who knows what this competition is going to bring out in these young guys? So that's exciting too because you do have Kravtsov, you do have Heal, you do have Kako. I mean, you know, they're all going to be in competition for that. And like you mentioned, you don't think Gallant's going to have these young guys on his on the bottom six. So they're all going to be in competition fighting for these big minutes. And I think that you're just really going to see an elevated level from these guys and if you don't then they're not cut out for it and then you can kind of work that into a deal so I think that it's just gonna the work might kind of figure itself out um which is good when you have Drury who's stepping in and you know taking the reins over from these guys so you know it, it could really be in a good position where it just helps make his job a little bit easier when when you see kind of how the lines shake out and who's doing well who's not and and what do we have coming up and they have a lot of options. It's, it's a good problem to have. I, I was going to say, like, that's the best case scenario is the friendly competition. Just, you know, being so deep. I mean, we, we were talking about just ways of being successful. And you just look at Tampa and they're one of the deepest teams in the league. If you can find ways to get depth like that, you might be close to the cap. I mean, but if you are homegrown growing a lot of these guys like Tampa did do, um, I mean, everyone's capable of getting that way. It's all just about asset management and just scouts and everything like that and just doing your homework. And that that's a good problem to have to, if you're able to, if, oh, geez, well, this player is good, but we don't know if we have room for him. That's a perfect, pro- I mean, I mean, it's not perfect because you also want that player to also play, but, uh, but it, it's, it's good because you're going to get the best out of the best from everybody. Everyone's going to be at an elite level to the bat. Well, not elite level, but they're going to play to the best of their ability. They're going to be hardworking and it's going to be a good culture because that's ultimately what you want is you want guys that are going to go to bat for one another. And they're also going to do everything that they can to win. And that's how you get uh, to be some of the best teams in the league. And Gallant, and Gallant does seem like a perfect guy to lead that type of that type of build because like Rachel and Mike said he's very patient he'll let things develop he won't he won't force things to happen he'll let it develop and just put guys out there and say all right I, I think these two have something going on I'm just gonna put them out there and make let that chemistry develop and think that Nate your point before about competition your point too Rachel these wingers played so well that Brendan Lemieux, who wasn't playing poorly, had to get shipped out because he just wasn't getting the playing time. And they right. shipped him to LA. And think about that. Brendan Lemieux was traded for Kevin Hayes. Was, uh, Lemieux in a first-round pick, which wound up going back to Winnipeg for Jacob Truba. And then Lemieux, too, like so many people were against that trade because they were like, well, where's the physicality? So, well, yes, he did have that physicality. You're you're pressured into bringing more than that. You have to be multidimensional for the New York Rangers to stay. And a lot of people were shocked because they were like, well, you know, now we're going to be even softer because we lost Lemieux. But it's, that's just the predicament where they have so much faith too that they're they know what they have they know that they are going to have toughness come up and they are going to have grit and you know if they need to acquire that they can do that so um 
obviously they show how much trust they have in the players and the guys that they can move Lemieux like that, where, you know, you think of toughness on the Rangers and that's pretty much a sole source. Oh, Tom Wilson, you sorry soul. (laughs) All right. Well, um, uh, before we wrap up, is there any other thing that you guys want to talk about? Anything we've discussed prior, anything about the Rangers or. I think the other position that they're really good at is goaltend. We talk about, we can talk about Igor Georgiev. I, I think could also very good one B. And then you have some kids down in the minors. If you need a goalie and Hartford, Tyler wall, I believe it is, was playing well. They have some other goaltending prospects. So there are little things here that, Hey, the Rangers have abundance of this. We're going to have to call them. So they're in a good spot. Flexible flexibility wise. They could do some things that may or may not be interesting. Right. I remember um, they were getting like a lot of heat actually for just because they kept drafting goalies. They were like, okay, how many goalies do we need? But I mean, Tyler Wall, you hear good things about him. Adam Huska, you hear good things about him. You've been hearing good things. So they're, you know, they are deep at pretty much every position. I think, you know, where they do lack is center, but what team doesn't really lack at center. So, um, you know, I just think that the way that they're set up is for long-term success. And as a Rangers fan, you can't be any more happy about that. James Dolan, don't screw this up for me. Well, that's the, <laughs> that's the thing too is, is Mike, we've had the, cause we've made the comparison between the Pagulas and Dolan. And that's the thing is you said is, Oh, well, Dolan always just, he gets his hands in the till with the Knicks, but he doesn't really know as much about hockey and stays kind of out of it. I'm really hoping that the Pagulas do not try to mess up my Buffalo Bills. Let's put it that way. Um, but one can only hope, Nate. It... <laughs> I know. All righty. Well, on on that note, yeah, I know. I <laughs> but uh, in any case, um, alrighty. So with all of that, um, first of all, let me. Um, First of all, I want to thank Rachel for coming on the podcast. We really appreciate you coming on and talking hockey with us. We had yeah, a thank great- you. Yeah, yeah, thank you thank so you. much for coming on. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me. So again, um, Rachel Knowns, um, she covers the Rangers for the Hockey Writers. You can check out her articles at thehockeywriters.com. Covers the NHL East at E2G Sports. That's E2G Sports.com. Uh, and was on the most recent episode of the Chicks and Sticks podcast uh, for the Hockey Writers YouTube channel. You can check that out as well. You can follow her on Twitter at Rachel NHL. And Rachel, is there anything else you want to plug uh, in addition to all of that? Um, no, I think that just about covers it. Um, you know, use Twitter a lot. I have some kind of like a reputation as like these weird like predictions with games. Um, so that's always fun to keep and on. And you got the Galant thing right too, so... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was, I followed Vegas literally from day one as a lot of other people did since they're so new, but um, I, though some people don't seem to believe that cough, cough, Noah. Right, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> but um, I mean, I knew a lot about Gallant and I especially liked what he did with William Carlson and really helped get him going. And, and I think, you know, it's just, it, it just works out too well. And it, it, they would be, 
really unintelligent to not have uh, pursued him as heavily as they did. So worked out. I, like I said, I like the hire. Um, but, uh, and all right. So, and that's going to wrap up this episode of the breakaway bandits podcast for Mike Rifkin and Noah Tremblay. Again, Rachel, thank you for coming on. You can check out all of her content online. Um, as we mentioned for the hockey writers and EDG sports, and, uh, we will catch you again next time. Have a good night guys.